Good morning. Welcome to Get Up With God. I'm your host, Dylan Maverick. Today, we're going through six points at 6 a.m. on the importance of casting sin away from your life and what sin can do to your life and what the impacts of it are if if it gets left undealt with. I'm glad to be with you this morning. If you haven't already, take a moment, subscribe on my YouTube channel, hit the notification bell. That will give you an opportunity to be notified if I go live on this channel. And be sure to like some of the other videos and share some of the other videos that are on the channel. Well, without further ado, let's jump into today's episode, Avoiding Sin and Casting Sin Away From Our Life. This is going to be a powerful lesson for you. And I want to tell you that the sin that creeps into our life, the reason that it's so detrimental that it's so bad and the effects of it can be so bad for our life is because a lot of times it starts out undetected. It starts off in a way that looks innocent, that seems uh, very small mind uh, in a small way, and it doesn't seem like it's a big deal. That's how sin creeps into our life. But we have to be on guard. We have to be ready to take our stance. Bible says, equip yourself, be ready with the full armor of God to stand against any attack of the enemy. That includes sin, you know, just having bad health or uh, someone's finances being under attack aren't the only things that the enemy can try to do to to derail you as a Christian. And this is one of the things that he'll do to you is he will try to put sin in your life, which is separation between you and God. So we ought not have that. Write this down for point number one is we have to first recognize where sin originated or where sin comes from. Back in Genesis chapter 3 and 1, we know that, well, even before Genesis 3, but God planted a garden on the earth when he created heaven and earth. There was a garden that he created and it was for us. He created a garden for humans to run and reign and take dominion over the entire earth, not just the garden. We were to expand our territory. We were to name the animals. We were to have dominion over everything that's on the face of the earth. Uh, He even gave uh, the authorization to Adam to begin to name animals and plants and different things like that. But we see very early on in the Garden of Eden, this is how the devil works. This is how he works in your life. Very early on in a, in a very, uh, um, detch, you know, in a very, I would say desperate, but in a very desperate attempt for the enemy to try and take over your life, he's going to try and sneak in, in the very core or the very beginning of things. And we have to begin to detect it. You've got to begin to detect these things in your life when you see him creeping in, in any area. I mean, there's so many different areas that the enemy is going to try to sneak up on you with that seems innocent. It doesn't seem like it's a big deal. It seems so innocent. And the the fact that the enemy thinks he can get this over on you just shows how ignorant he truly is to the power of God that's within you. Uh, he knows that God is he knows God is uh, on the throne. He knows that he's empowered you and me and he knows these things. But yet he still tries and sends his team of people, his demonic team of people to try and derail you from God's best for your life. Well, you ought not allow those things in your life. And if you have a family, as the leader of your family, you ought not allow those things within your family. Take a stance against these things. And so we see this in the Garden of Eden. We're going to read there. If you want to turn to Genesis 3, you can go ahead and do that. In Genesis 3, we see the very core of what the enemy tries to do. And the very first thing, (coughs) excuse me, the very first interaction that the enemy has with God's creation is to get them thinking the wrong way. 
is to get their mind in the wrong place. And this is how the enemy starts with things is on the inside of you is he will start to creep in on the inside of you with, with inner things before the exterior things he'll try and deal with you. Now it happens from an exterior sense. Understand it comes from an, from an outside source, but he's going to try to deal with you, uh, in a, in a, in a outward sense that affects your insides. Write that down. The en- the enemy will use outward sources to deal with your inside, to deal with you inside. He will try and manipulate you, turn your thoughts, begin to turn your heart. That's where things begin to change. Is when the outward gets inside and then the inside begins to change, but it always has to start outside. Something has to come from the outside to the inside to affect the inside. Genesis 3 and 1 says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, the serpent said to the woman, Has God, now this is the sentence I want you to pay attention to. Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now stop there. Think about the context and think about the tonality that the enemy uses in this phrase that he says to the end to to eve here process that in your head a little bit the tonality that he uses with her did god indeed say you shall not he's repeating exactly what god said but think about how he brings it up to eve did god indeed say that let's take it into 2023 did god really say that is that really god saying that is this really god's approach to you think about the mental toll that this plays on a person when the enemy drops this thought into your mind the first attack that the enemy has on humanity is to get them thinking about the truth in the wrong way is to get them thinking about truth in the wrong way. Point number two, the enemy makes sin easily accessible. This is what the enemy does. He makes sin extremely easily accessible. Did God really say that? Did he? Come on, you got to be kidding me. Did he really say that to you? I mean, come on. This is the tonality that he's using with Eve in the garden. Did God really say that? Is that really what God's saying to you when he's quoting word for word to Eve exactly what God said to him, to her and him. Do not eat of every of the tree uh, of every tree of the garden. He's giving exactly the and, and manipulating and twisting so that in your mind, what you know, you heard what you know is fact. What you know is what God has said. The enemy twists it now, and he makes it extremely easily accessible to you to to dive into sin. Because that thought, you've heard me say this before, that thought becomes your idea now. Or so you think. That thought becomes your idea. Well, it's not that bad. Did did God really? God, God, God wouldn't not let me do something. God's a good God. I've learned in church. I've sang all the the Hillsong songs, how good God is and how good our God is to us. Why would he withhold it? That's not my God. He wouldn't withhold anything from me. 
Well, hold on a second. You're saying God wouldn't withhold anything from you? He wouldn't withhold bad things from you? No, God is a good God. And sometimes what we, if we're in a bad state of mind, what we think is good for us because of twisted doctrine or wrong ways of thinking, things that are actually bad for us, we think are good for us. This can actually happen, believe it or not. So yes, God is a good God. The Bible says in James that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. That's our God in heaven. Every Anything that you've ever had in your life that's been good, anything you will ever have in your life that is good, comes from God. That's a fact. Doctrinally, biblically, it is accurate to say every good gift. But for you to think that something is good and you haven't received of it yet, and you think it's good but it's actually bad and God withholds that from you, it's not a bad thing. Just like he's withholding from Adam and Eve this particular tree. He did not want them to eat of it. Well, some people say, uh, well, that, that tree was, was, they weren't ready for that tree. I don't believe that to be true. He gave them access to another tree. He gave them access to a tree of knowledge. It wasn't just the tree of good and evil, of the knowledge of good and evil. There was a tree of knowledge. There was a tree of, of wisdom that they could, they could partake from. But it wasn't, the, why this tree did they need to get, uh, get in touch with? Because there was an idea planted in their mind. This is what the enemy does. He implants an idea in our mind and it makes it seem accessible because that idea begins to take root now. Def point number three, defending yourself gets you into a hole. Refer back to this now. Defending yourself, trying to take a stance against a thought Get you into a hole. I'll explain what, what that means. I'm going to jump ahead. But point number, uh, my, my, my final point, point number six, is to sever ties with any connection to that idea. Not defend yourself. So number three, point number three, is to def defending yourself against this idea gets you into a hole. Here's why. Let me explain what I mean by that. When you take a stance and you have an idea that gets planted in your mind, that idea, like let's say it's casual, like I'm going to use something that is very uh, controversial within Christianity, drinking, alcohol. That idea, the Bible has multi, not just one, multiple places the Bible refers to fermented fruits and vegetables. Fermented fruits and vegetables are to not be touched by the believer, not touch them. That means once they've fermented, but the prior to fermentation, they have, they're accessible, but once they're fermented, there's a dilution process that has to be gone through there. It is to be diluted and you can, there's, there's a lot of scripture that I haven't studied enough to be able to teach you on it, but I have read and, and studied it to an extent that I understand it, that there was a dilution process for alcohol and fermentation. I'm not going to get into that, but let's just say someone has the idea that getting alcohol consumption is okay and they could just do it as much as they want, as long as they don't get crazy, there's a borderline. Let's just say we agree upon it that it's wrong to do that. The enemy now is going to plant an idea. When you, let's say you believe it's wrong to do, but the enemy's working on you to kind of twist your thoughts a little bit. Well, let's see if we can get in there and kind of twist what they think a little bit to get them thinking that it's kind of okay. That's what the enemy's going to try and do. They're not going to try and dump 
whiskey and rum on you. And they're going to try and sneak in and he's going to try and plant some ideas that dilute you to thinking things are okay. So at first you're at a stance, I do not drink. Alcohol consumption is not for a believer. That's the stance that you take. Then the enemy drops an idea in your head. Maybe it's something you hear. Maybe it's from a false preacher who's lost his wits and he's off the off his rocker now. Maybe it's from another person that you look up to and they give you some idea. This idea gets planted into your mind just like it did Eve in the Garden of Eden. This idea. But you remember, you're on a stance that I don't, that's not what I do. I don't drink alcohol. You're on the stance. That idea comes in now. Now the idea comes in. Now you go, well, let me let me read what the Bible says to defend my stance. No, you're not defending your stance now. You're exploring the case. <laughs> you're 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 like an attorney that's in court now. Now you're dissecting the case. No, we don't need to do that with sin. The idea that's implanted in your mind needs to be cast away from you. You don't need to argue with sin. What happened to Eve when she defended herself? What, what did she say? No, what well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat nor, nor shall you touch it lest you die. This is what happens. She defended herself instead of getting rid of the serpent. Now she's defending and negotiating with a terrorist. Now she's negotiating. And this is what happens in our mind. Point number four is you must exit the situation. No negotiation. I don't need to defend myself with the word of God against a default terrorist idea that's been planted in my mind. I don't have to take the word and defend it with that. The Bible gives me clear direction that I'm to cast that thing away. Let me tell you what she should have done in this scenario. She should have grabbed the serpent by the neck. Even better, Adam should have been by her side in the first place and grabbed that serpent by the neck and taken it without a single word out of his mouth and cast it from the garden. And got rid of it from their very presence because that thing was cunning. The Bible said from the very beginning, he was cunning, deceptive, and somehow he got in the way of, of him and his wife. And in between there, he got an idea in her head, which she felt she had to defend. Well, let me tell you what happens when you defend yourself, even when you try and back it up with the word. Well, the, I'm going to just, I'm going to read the scripture to back up my stance that I don't drink. No, and what happens is now you begin to negotiate with a terrorist that's been planted an idea in your mind. How do you get rid of it then? You cast it from you totally and you don't allow the idea in your mind. What happens when that idea gets planted in your mind and you start using scripture to defend your stance of that? I don't drink alcohol, but this idea that drinking alcohol is a good idea. Your stance now begins to entertain the idea, whether you like it or not. That idea is still in your brain. You're defending it with the Bible, but the idea is still there. I'm going to show you what the Bible says. Turn with me into, uh, 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 well, I'm going to give you an example of this. Then we're going to turn into Matthew. Go to 2 Samuel real quick. I'm going to show you what happens when you negotiate with terrorists. For 2 Samuel chapter 11, it happened in the, verse 1, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. So we know this story. Adam, uh, Adam, David's at home, King David's at home during a time he should be at battle. And listen what happens. Skip down to verse, uh, David remained at home. Skip down to verse two. Then it happened one evening. See, when I read this story years and years and years ago, my perception of it was that this happened during the day. This is like in broad daylight. 
uh, Adam, uh, I keep saying Adam, but King David, he's on his roof stretching the, there's a beautiful sunrise. There's a, a, a you know, a, a trans, translucent a glow across the sky and it's beautiful and there's beaming lights everywhere and it's a beautiful sunset or a sunrise. And he's looking out over his, over his, uh, uh, over his roof at the at the horizon of Jerusalem and oh his eyes gaze upon someone who's discreetly trying to keep themselves no that's not how it happened at all the bible says this then it happened one evening this was at night most evil things i'm not going to say every because it's an all encompassing word but most of all evil things happen in the dark what happened to eve she was deceived in the dark she was deceived away from her husband. She wasn't where the light was. Her husband was the light of her life at that time. Before Jesus came, before Adam was the light of her life. And he wasn't there. Deception happens in darkness. All evil happens. I, I, I was trying to refrain from saying it. But the reality is all evil happens at dark during the dark times when there's no light. And in the evening... The Bible says David arose from his bed. He was already tucked in for bed. What are you getting out of bed at night for? There's only one reason you do that. Do not do good stuff. I don't care if you're at home with a family and you get up in the middle of the night. You're looking for something bad like food in the fridge, trying to snack on some stuff, a little midnight snack. There's nothing good about being up late and getting out of bed to do something. Never. When you should be sleeping, sleep. Be there. Do what you're supposed to do. So he arose from his bed walked on the roof of his house, peered about, and there, lo and behold, is a woman bathing. So I've got two questions. Number one, Adam, uh, number one, David, King David, what are you doing out of bed in the middle of the night looking around? What you looking for, David? Number two, what are you doing bathing, young woman, where the king can see you? Why are you exposed and why are you so available to be seen where you know you are visible from the king's terrace? You're visible from a place where the king can see you. There's a lot of deception going on here. But here's my point. You, you allowing these things in without dealing with the root of these things. It wasn't the problem that, Ad, uh, that King David was on his roof. That's his roof. The problem was that he had an idea that occurred while he was in bed and had to get out of bed, make a decision to go and place himself in a scenario that was potentially compromised. Let me tell you something what Jesus says. Point number five, sin is a byproduct of bad heart conditions. Sin is a byproduct of bad heart conditions. Now, I'm not saying you're a bad person, but sin comes from errors or problems within the heart not the not the physical heart not the heart pumper the muscle but your inner being sin is a byproduct of heart problems when there's a heart problem david had a heart problem there was an issue within david's heart that it would find him okay to not only be on his roof in the middle of the night be gazing upon a woman who's in her private place and call his guards to get her to bring her to his house why are you home in the first place when you should be at battle? The Bible said this is the time for battle. This was the time for the kings to be at battle, and he was not. So he was already choosing to entertain and defend a reason why he should defend this idea. He was negotiating with terrorists. Matthew 5. Matthew 5. 
Verse 27, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, who shall not, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you this, Whoever even looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with, with her in his heart. So your heart, your idea center, the heart of you, is a very real place that can cause major effects on your life. If the right eye, the Bible says, if your right eye, Jesus said, causes you to sin, Pluck it out, cast it from you, for it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Cast into hell. Point number six, cast off ties. Sever all ties from any type of sin. Cast off and sever ties with it. Don't negotiate your stance. You don't have to negotiate with the enemy who's trying to lie to you. Take it by the neck, sever its tie, and get it out of your life. Don't entertain the idea. Put your mind, let me give it to you practically. Put your mind on something different. The more time you spend thinking about the thing and putting your mind on a thing, the more attention you give to it, the more uh, the more praise you give to it, the more light you give to it, which then in turn is still happening inside of you. This is an impact impact that happens inside of you, which can affect you. It's a major impact on you. A turn to this final scripture in First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five. Verse six, therefore, humble, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. He does your caring. He carries your cares. He does that for you. It doesn't say to talk about it with God like in a therapeutic sense. It says, cast it on him. Cast the burden of cares. Cast the sin on and around you onto Jesus. Let him, you cannot carry the burden. You can't carry these things. It's too heavy of a burden for you to carry. When Jesus has another burden for you to carry, and that's taking on his life for the light of this world. He said, anyone who takes on my yoke, anyone who takes on my burden will find that it's not heavy, will not find that it's burdensome to them. They'll take it on and find that it's easy and light for their life. These burdens, you taking on this, the, the deceptive ideas that the enemy tries to plant in your mind does not come at an easy cost. It comes with a heavy burden that you can't carry. Cast it off of you. So Dylan are you just saying to me to just ignore it? I'm saying ignore it with veracity. Cast it from you. Don't give it place. Your idea center is not the place to entertain these thoughts. Your idea center is to place the word of God and allow the word of God to set on your mind to begin to cleanse it and to make it established with peace. That's how we're established. We are established by the word of God. I hope this helped you this morning. This has been a, a powerful lesson today in not dealing with sin, not allowing sin to take its place in your life. Cast it away from you. Get it away from you. 
with fervence, cast sin away. Even the very idea that tries to come against your doctrine, cast it away. You don't have to deal with that. When people try to come to you, last thing I'm going to say, and then we'll, we'll shut the broadcast off. When people try to come to you and try to negotiate their way of thinking and, and try and justify the Bible, I don't put up with it. I'll have healthy conversation with sincere people who really want to know and learn from me, but I'm not going to sit down with somebody. There's very few people that I allow to speak into my life. There's people I'll allow around me and there's people I'll talk with and I'll have good conversation, but short handful, very small handful of people. Do I allow that what they say to plant itself in my mind and take root there? Very few people. Anything someone says to me, it's usually just water off. I don't, I don't, I don't take validity to it. I won't sit on it, ponder it, think about it. I will choose what sits in my mind, good or bad, by my choice. Not because it's an idea. Not because it's a thought that populated my brain center. I will choose what I think on. It's my choice. And I cast everything else on the back of Jesus because he paid the price.